Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. In our Bible reading plan, we just, you know, come out of 2 Chronicles, right? So uh, you, you came across this scripture, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5, this struck, struck my spirit yesterday, actually. It says, the house which I'm about to build will be great, for greater is our God than all the gods. Let's, see, let's say that again. The house which I'm about to build will be greater. Great, yeah, that's good. For greater is our God than all the gods. Now, you can probably go back on our podcast um, and hear a message that I ministered once called uh, Someone Greater Than Solomon Is Here. Okay, and if you hadn't heard that, I encourage you to go find that message and listen to it. You know, Solomon is the one who announces, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And obviously his father wanted to do so, but the Lord was like, you're not building the house. He says, you're a man of bloodshed. And um, now again, David's bloodshed was authorized. Um, but he says, you're not going to build that house. And um, so he, um, you know, delegated that to his son Solomon. And in his lifetime, he began to accumulate resource for the temple. Not only did he accumulate it from the nation of Israel, but from his own personal uh, account did he put towards the building of this temple. And, you know, you can take time to go through for your own personal history lesson and see all the wealth that was um, uh, stored for this building. And so now Solomon, and again, if you just jump over a chapter, you'll begin to read him starting this uh, particular temple. And the, the main floor, okay? The main floor built out of cedar, but you don't see cedar when you're walking on it because the whole floor is overlaid with pure gold. The whole thing. I mean, this is extravagant. And then they got precious stones. And then they hand-carved palms. You understand he definitely loved the state of Florida. And so uh, they were thinking of us when he was carving out the temple. Um, but all gold. I mean, we really can't fathom what this place looked like, this house. And notice Solomon says this. He says, now listen, I'm going to build a house for the Lord, for God, and it's going to be great. Now, why is that? Because he's a greater God than all other gods. If I'm going to build a house that we can see, that this world can see, then there's no way some other temple dedicated to a false god can be more impressive. I mean, Solomon was like, there's no way that another nation's gonna come and see the temple dedicated to the creator of heaven and earth, and they go, that ain't got nothing on our God. Oh, that's a shack. Oh, wow. That's not a big deal. Are you hearing me? Solomon was like, there's no way that I'm gonna build a house that can be publicly seen by this nation or any other nation. And somebody would have the audacity to come into this place 
and act like their temple to their false god could even compare. Do you understand? Solomon had this mindset. Are you hearing me? That when you see the house of the Lord, when you see the house of the Lord that I'm about to build, you're going to be in awe. Now, Solomon was someone who could put people in awe. In fact, the Queen of Sheba, if you read about her, she came to see Solomon one day because she heard about all of his wisdom. Now, you understand why Solomon has the wealth that he has anyway is because all he wants to do is take care of God's people, which is a whole other message by itself. When the king decides that all he wants is to rule God's people well, in essence, be able to rule before the people well. Are you a little king? Are you rulers? Then you should desire to want to rule well before the people. And because all he said, give me wisdom and knowledge to rule well before your people. And man, God came down and says, wow, because you did not ask for the heads of your enemy. Because you didn't ask for wealth. You didn't even ask for a long life, a legacy where your name would be remembered. Oh, he said, You're, all you were concerned about is leading my people. He said, son, I will give you that wisdom. But guess what comes with that now? What comes? What is happening? <laughs> Hallelujah. Is it me? Okay, somebody's scratching on a mic, man. I'm going to be rapping here in a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think Meredith's over there going, wow, wow, wow. That <laughs> Watch her now, because I'm going to start beatboxing here in a minute. <laughs> okay, so what was I talking about before I was rudely interrupted by her beatbox over here? <laughs> wisdom. You get the wisdom? Guess what? Guess what follows wisdom? Wealth. Your enemy will be at peace with you, and everybody's going to remember your name. Are you hearing me? So again, if we just put the order right. So here's Solomon. He's at his kingdom. The queen of Sheba comes, and she does not come to not be impressive. Because when she showed up, because you don't come to a king empty-handed. She shows up. I'm going to say that again. You do not come to the king. And if you've come to this house, the king is here. His name's Jesus. I hope you did not come empty-handed. But she comes with the most spices that have ever rolled in to Israel. The most. I mean, she has an entourage of so much wealth. Are you hearing me? Okay. And so with that being said, she in turn goes and sees the people. All right. And before she even sees the king, she's like, wow. Look at his servants. Look how they're dressed. I mean, they're not dressed like slaves, although they were slaves. They were so dressed so well. The order of his house, the amount of wealth that it took her breath away. Just the natural sight of his house and his servants struck her in awe. Now you understand when Solomon wants to build a house for, the, for God, 
the God that's greater than all gods. He's like, it's going to take their breath away. Now, here's the thing. What he's building is not his own. Because the plan has come from the Lord. The Lord is the architect designer of what this temple looks like. And so it's mighty, it's mighty impressive. It's mighty impressive. And, you know, so again, this statement just struck me. The house which I'm about to build. Who's building it? Solomon is. Who's building it? Solomon is. Now, he's not personally building it. He's, uh, you know, because, again, it's an architectural project, um, and he's has enlisted all kinds of people. I mean, there's like 150,000 people that he's, you know, are working, and 36,000 are foremen, and he's getting, you know, supply from all over the regions. But ultimately, once it's built, then he does this massive sacrifice, which was a lot of resource just to sacrifice a thousand bulls. Wow. And all of a sudden, God's presence showed up in that house. So much so, the Bible says that the priests that were inside it couldn't even stand up. They couldn't even stand up. The weight of the glory of God, his presence, that when it filled it, it says his train filled the temple. His glory filled the temple so full that the, the measure of that um, uh, presence of God's spirit put them all down on the ground. They couldn't even stand. Are you hearing me? And he said, man, I'm about to build a house. It's going to be great. For greater is our God than all others. And then the Lord reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 19. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says it this way. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Do we have the same attitude as Solomon, that when we got born again and the Spirit of God came to live inside us, that when we look in the mirror, we're saying, Lord, I am going to build you a house because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. How in the world could I not build this house? So that when it walks around in society, that all of a sudden people are like, there ain't no way I'm better than that. Are you hearing me? I mean, all we are, we have, it's like we are not taking thought that God did not want to move in a gold house. He did not want to move into a, a natural home. He always wanted to be back in man. And now that he's shown up, what are we showing the world that's housing God? 
I mean, are we allowing the gods of this world to showcase more in those bodies than what God can do in us? Because at the end of the day, God came to the house that Solomon built. And at the end of the day, God made man in, through the dust of the earth. He ultimately housed this suit. But when you make Jesus Lord, you're asking him to move in. And since he's moving in, what is he moving into? And he's giving you the tool to renovate. Are you hearing me? He's giving you the tools to renovate. He's giving you the tools to the renewing of your mind and to the point of keeping your body subject. So that there's no excuse that when someone in the world would look at you, they would be in awe. Okay. Well, now the spirit of God, you can't see it. You may not be able to see it, but you can sense it. In fact, um, Smith Wigglesworth worked on his temple so much so that when he was sitting on a bus, it was, it was testified to him that when one man was getting off a bus, he says, your mere presence convicts me of my sin. Because you understand when the Holy Spirit or when the Spirit of God came down in Solomon's temple that day, they couldn't stand in his presence. When the power of God came down upon the mountain, they were in fear and trembling. I mean, the presence of God in pure holiness is something to, be with, be, to behold. And it will put all of us on our face. I said it will put all of us on our face. Are you hearing me? But with that being said, we ourselves have a responsibility to take care of the house because we've been housed. We've been housed. So we shouldn't be sick like the rest of the world all the time. We shouldn't be, you know, uh, beat down all the time like the rest of the world. We shouldn't be, you know, there shouldn't be creaking coming from our temple. You know what creaking is? It's complaining and whining. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have problems, but we overcome them so fast that people think we don't have them. They don't see depression associated with you because that's other God's temples. They don't see you walking around in fear. That's other God's temples. You understand? Because Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And some of those temples, those bodies, not only are they dead spirits in them, they're housing evil spirits. And we should look nothing like this. Now, you understand, Solomon built a building. Anybody can build a building. Anybody can build architecture. You know, he's not the only person who can put gold over wood. But there's something about this house. And man, there was something about that ark. 
that he brought into that house. Because that ark, before it even had that house, and it was stuck in a tent. But that was one fine-looking tent, people. I'm telling you, the wealth of the tent itself. You understand, religious, religious Christianity can't handle the tent or the temple. Because that would go against their stewardship. They can't handle that. Now, Pastor, we are definitely not going to have gold floors in our church. That is way too extravagant. Well, I guess you're not going to heaven. I mean, we'll complain about how much we pay for carpet. Speaking of carpet, we bought the rest. Well, you know, we asked for $45,000. We got $41,000. I'm like, we're buying the rest of the carpet. So if you're like, oh, I still want to get in that field and, and sow towards it, you absolutely can. Because, but I, we bought the rest of the carpet. So our goal is to have that all the way in by the end of October, all carpet in the mall. All right? Then we can move to continue projects. And if you haven't been to the front of the mall, we got a little sneak peek on the white columns. They're disappearing. A couple of them have disappeared. Right? We just laid hands on them. And they're gone. <laughs> it did take a couple of days. And I think now that we know what we're doing, we can do the next one in a day. Hallelujah. But with that being said, what is your temple? Do you have the same attitude as Solomon that you're like, I'm telling you, when the world sees me, they are not going to mistake me with their temples. This is why this temple is not full of debauchery. Right? I mean, this is not a dumping ground for toxic material. I don't fill this temple full of toxic material that messes my mind up, that starts to play with it. Because there's plenty of other temples in the world. Are you hearing me? I understand we're going to look the same to a degree. We're human. But you can begin to walk in the power and purpose of God so much that people will say something about you. Something about you. I've been in multiple places where my wife, where people have said, you're glowing. And it's not because she just had a facial. <laughs> it's not that. It's not because she's, you know, just came away from the sun. It's not that. Something else. They're starting to sense something else. Amen. And you can walk. And again, it's the inside. It's the spirit of God radiating through your soul and your body. That you decide, I'm going to live such a pure life according to scripture. That the other God's temples don't look nothing like mine. Are you hearing me? So what type of house are you building? All right? Does it reflect God? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of instructions, instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead in eternal judgment. Notice Hebrews chapter 6 here lets us know that if you're in a place that only preaches repentance from dead works, that's being born again. 
Okay? Faith towards God. That's being born again. That's one and the same. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's salvation. Of instruction about washings. Again, baptism. Okay? To be baptized in water. All the laying on of hands. And most of that has to do with, um, you know, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's some places don't even get their foundation finished. Okay, but then you can lay hands on the sick even. And then the resurrection of the dead, which is the catching away, right? And then eternal judgment, which is the final judgment. Those that are going to go before the great white throne judgment and be thrown into the lake of fire. All of those are elementary teachings. And if that's all you know, you have to say, I am an elementary student. And all you have at best, is a foundation. And we don't live only on a foundation. You can have a great foundation, but when the storm comes, you're exposed. And this is why modern Christian religion has you on the foundation of salvation, water baptism, Right? Eternal judgment, the catching away, but when the storms of life come, they're completely exposed and they're begging out to God, do something. He's like, why don't you build some walls? Why don't you get a roof on that thing? Why don't you get central heat and air in there? You know, why don't we build you some protect? Why don't you come into the house of the Lord? Why don't you get some other truths? Because he says, we need to go on to maturity. And here's the thing, you are not going to look different from the temples that house other gods if you haven't gone beyond a foundation. In fact, Paul, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, says to the church there, he says, now I cannot speak to you as spiritual people. I'm going to have to come and talk to you as babes again. I want to come and give you some spiritual meat. I want to give you some, some things that can move on to maturity, but I cannot do it because you have identified yourself through your words and actions that you are carnal. You are acting like mere men. In essence, you have the Holy Ghost in you, but you look like the other temples of people that aren't even born again. You're carnal. You're led by your flesh. You say what you want to say. You're led by your emotions. You're moved by your emotions. You respond by your emotions. You let the situations dictate how you feel. You're jockeying for position. You're doing everything the world does. Now, you're born again. That's true. But man, I can't tell your temple from theirs. And Solomon said, I will not build a temple that you can mistake that it's not greater. I'm not going to do it. And in the church today, I'm telling you, God is in the business of building you to maturity. He's ne- he never sent Jesus so that you could only have that one teaching of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So when you die, you go to heaven. That was just the door. 
It doesn't bring maturity. Are you hearing me? Let's go over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Once again, nobody, uh, when I say nobody, I don't mean that literal. You know, it's just that too often because of uh, religious Christianity, okay? And I say religious Christianity, and I mean that because at the end of the day, if you take God's word and you decide how you're going to apply it and never consult God, that's religion. That is religion. And what we've done is we've done a disservice Okay, our, our ministers have by communicating that, you know, um, the word by itself, you know, if you try to do it, you know, it's law, 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 and now we're under grace and we have to do anything because we couldn't do anything. Well, that's not what law was. We're confusing law with religion. Yes. And, and the Pharisees were religious, because they took God's word and then they interpreted it on their understanding what they wanted it to be. That's why Jesus said, why do you forsake the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? You are telling people that this is what I meant by that. When I did not mean that, this is what I meant. Right. And the same thing happens after you're born again. We will try to fit scriptures to fit our emotions. Yeah. When it's not about fitting your emotions, it's about you changing your emotions to go to the word. Right. Renewing your mind to God's way of doing. And you do that by faith, that his way, if I do it his way, then I'll get the result of his way. Okay? But in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 30, and then we'll jump to 33, it says, as massive crowds, I'm going to read out of the Passion, followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when, when you follow me as my disciple." You must turn aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. And he cannot be considered or, or he cannot be what? Considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the entire cost to complete it. Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. And the neighbors will ridicule him saying, look at him. He started to build but couldn't complete it. He couldn't complete it. Then verse 33 says, likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you can not be one of my disciples. Now, what I love about the Passion Translation, put it back on the 25 to 30, is there's a few things we want to say. Other translations says this, unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, the brothers, you know, to come follow me. Now, it's not literally saying, husbands, you have a right to hate your wife now. Wives, you have a right to hate your husbands now. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, it's literally saying this. If you're going to be my disciple, then you cannot, you've got to put aside what daddy says. you got to put aside what mama says. you got to even put aside what your wife says. Because what your sister says, your brothers have said. In fact, you got to put aside your own thoughts. Right. 
to the point that you even hate your own thinking when you know it doesn't line up with mine. In essence, a husband saying, honey, we're going to go to church. Well, I don't want us to go. Well, honey, I might have to put aside that thought. I'm going to church. You can stay home if you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I got to put aside that. I said, I got to put aside that. I got to put aside that. There's mamas out there. Some of the kids need to put aside mamas. I'm talking about, you know, ones that are a little bit older. But again, even then, if you don't watch out, you know, we should condition our children, our own lives that we're, what does the word say? What does the father say? And he's saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, because he's, he's, this is what's crazy, is that God clearly communicates what a disciple looks like. Just like he clearly communicates what the church looks like. And I got this while I was cutting grass. The Lord's like, you know what? You know, people, it's amazing how people throw church around and just run church through the ground. It's, I mean, they drag church through the ground. And right, I mean, church, the church has been attacked the most than anything, okay? But here's the thing, it's what, and I don't know, it's so amazing because of the illiteracy of believers. Why? Because they have a foundation that they never build, okay? And as a result of that, they're ridiculed. But here's the thing, the Lord's like, you know what, everyone knows you know, the religious Christians, that there's God, only one true God, and that there are false gods. Well, if there can be false gods, then there can be false churches. But because we assume church is only our name, well, you know, God's not the only God. Now, when I say that, I know he's the only God, but the world has other gods. And we even acknowledge that they have them. We can go to like, we'll be going to India in November. And I can say, well, that's their God. Now, we, it's no God. And I would love for God to let me just start ripping down idols in India. That would be amazing. <laughs> the amazing practice if the Lord would just say, tear it down. I'm taking a construction team, maybe he'll let us do it. I mean, they won't let us back. I get it they ever catch us, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, you know, you want to have one of those like, knock it over, grind it up yeah. moments. You know, you wish you could go back to some of that old covenant stuff. But with that being said, you know, well, here they are. That's that God, that God. And we know they're not gods, but we say that. But then we use church and we think church is only Jesus. Well, Jesus clearly defines what his church looks like. So then if it doesn't look like that, I would say, well, that's a false church. That's really not his church. Oh, no, that's, it's not his church. Just like I can say, you're not his disciple. Now, I'm not saying you're not born again. I'm just saying you're not a disciple. And Jesus never came or never commissioned us to go make converts. He says you need disciples. And disciples go beyond foundation. So look what happens. He said, now listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to put aside everybody else's thoughts, their way of doing it, their thoughts. That's why parents, you got to be wiser than this. You got to say, okay, well, how does the, the Lord want me to respond to these situations? 
And then you got to correct some stuff, you know, when you've been saying stuff wrong and you got to go back and say, you know what, I got to correct that. One thing that parents need to correct right out the gate is telling your kids you can't afford nothing. You need to stop that. Now, it may not be in your account, but you know, somebody, hey, can we go? Don't say, well, we can't afford to go there. Say, well, you know what? Let's see if the Lord wants us to do that. You know, because if the Lord wants us to do it, he'll supply it. Now, that's more accurate. Now, you're not promising them to go, nor are you telling them you have the means today to go. But what you are doing is acknowledging that if the Lord wants it, then it had come to pass. But at the end of the day, God doesn't do everything just because we want. All right. And it begins to give them this thing that, you know, we're just talking with the Lord. It's like a regular conversation because I didn't know you wanted to go to Universal. And now you're saying, hey, this summer, let's go to Universal. And we're just conversing. But maybe we can and maybe we cannot. And there may be a legitimate reason why we would not. But to say, well, we can't afford. Well, then you can say, well, I'll go to a place that I could always afford. And we're acting like God can't. So we can't, these thoughts, we have to put them aside, he says. And then he says this. He said, now listen, at the end of the day, if you don't position your life, because again, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're building a house. That you're like, you got full liberty to give me all the instructions necessary for this house to be glorifying you. That through me, you'll be glorified. And he says, this is the price you'll pay to be considered. Now, you may say on such and such day, I asked Jesus into my heart. But that doesn't mean God's considering you a disciple. He may accurately be saying, well, you're carnal. And I can't really do nothing with you. You're just a babe. Because you're not been trained in righteousness. I can't even give you mature stuff yet. I got to keep giving you milk. Because you won't get off the foundation. You won't build on the foundation. And again, if all you have is a foundation that keeps getting exposed to the elements, what do you think is going to happen to your foundation? It's going to erode, it's going to crack, and you have to continually do foundation maintenance. That's why all of those religious Christians are always having to come back and rededicate their life. I'm going to do a rededication. I've come to fix my foundation. Because they constantly be exposed. They won't go on to maturity and they're not counting the cost. And so this is why it goes on. It says, if anyone's willing to come, uh, come after me, must be willing to share my cross. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you literally carry a cross. It means you do what Christ did. It's not my will, but your will be done even death on the cross. My purpose was to die for you. So you're going to have to have the same thing. You're going to have to die to your will and do the will of the Father who sent, who, who calls you to be born again and knew you before the foundations of the world. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew your destiny. And I came into this world to only do the, that's what Jesus said. He said, look, as the Father has sent me, I send. And he only came to do the will of the Father. So he's saying same things required out of you. And let me tell you a few things that's not on God's top 10 list for you. A good job. It's not on his top 10 list. 
wealthful retirement. It is not on his top 10 list. It's not. What college you go to is not on his top 10 list. Because you should already be enlisted in his university the day you got born again. Because what all professors fail to know is what the Holy Ghost already knows. Because he was there when it all started. He was the power that caused it to come to pass. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to college. I'm just saying we have this mindset. Got to get a good job. Got to get a nice house. Got to get good retirement. Got to get good benefits. The Lord's like, I've took care of the benefits. I put you in the kingdom. I got your education covered. I just need you to do my will. That's all I'm concerned about. You to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else. I mean, it's not complicated. Well, where's our kids going to go to college, you know, after they... Have you even asked the Lord, should they even go to college? Have you even asked? Maybe the Lord's like, they don't have time for that. Don't waste, don't waste four years on a piece of paper. I'm going to do them with power, and i got a whole other project for them to do. I'll take them all over the world. You understand, the wealthiest people do not have college degrees anyway. But I'm just saying it's not necessary. But what's the enemy do? He gets us buying lies to distract. Why? So we won't build. So we got to take the cross. Again, we learned in the parenting conference, the best thing you can ever tell your children is you need to discover why, what God's plan is for your life. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. Because if you don't do that, you can't even be considered his disciple. I'll just even be even more bold. If you've never asked the Lord, and what I do, am I, what I am, what I am doing currently right now, is this even your will? If you've not even asked that question, then you're probably not a disciple, even though you may have informational knowledge about scripture. Because applying God's word to your will is religion. Is religion. Is everyone going to be called to pastor? No. Is everyone going to be called to be a prophet? No. I mean, he tells us this very specifically that not all are the fivefold ministry. I get it. But again, why are you in the sector of society that you're in? And are you doing what you need to do in that sector? Are you walking with the Lord? And are you walking in a way that when you're at work, people are like, your temple's different. Now, they're not saying that, but you understand there's just something about your atmosphere that's all of a sudden different than everybody else. You know, I've never heard you cuss. How is that? You know, you did not get upset when we heard they were going to do cuts. Why is that? Because the, great, the God in me is greater than all gods. And this house I'm building, <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be such a reflection, right? So he goes on verse 28, though, and this is where the problem is in modern day um, religious Christianity. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost for you who construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it. Otherwise, he'll lay the foundation, not be able to finish. You know how many people are not coming to the Lord because of people who came to the Lord and stayed on a foundation? 
man, I got saved. I went to church. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're different for two weeks, a month, three months. And you know what happens at work? Well, we'll see how that is. It'll pass. And you know what? For most of them, it does. Next thing you know, they're drinking with them on the weekend again. They're cussing with them again. They're jumping back into the same things. They're just like the, their passion, their fires. Why? Because they didn't consider the cost. Because too often the call to repentance isn't even a call to repentance. It's a call to be saved. Jesus did not preach publicly, get saved. He said, repent. You're going to have to change. That's his first word, change. President Obama didn't, didn't uh, inaugurate that word, change. The Lord Jesus Christ did. Change. Because what you're doing now isn't kingdom. It's not. And the thing is, is that God doesn't first have to educate you to get in it. He gives you the spirit that can stay in it. Are you hearing me? He gives you the spirit that can stay in it. Now you have the ability and no excuse to build a house to maturity. You're with no excuse. And the reason why people laugh at you and laugh about you, laugh about your marriages, laugh at, now I'm not talking about you, I'm being, you know, general. But the, why, the reason why religious Christianity is laughed at by the world is because their marriages fall apart like everybody else's. You know, they live on the weekend like everybody else, but still go to church. They, have, they act in rebellion. They hate authority. They talk about their managers and their bosses and their pastors. They gossip like everybody else because they haven't considered the cost. What do you think about the manager? I have nothing to say about it. What? You just saw what they did. Doesn't matter. I'm not falling back into that. I'm a different person. There's too many that are doing it. Why? Because they don't have the same mindset. They don't have the same insight that Solomon had. And I'm going to build a house. That is great. Because... Our God is greater than all gods. Do you understand the Hindus are more dedicated to prayer than USA Christian churches? Islam is more dedicated to prayer than U.S. Christian churches. They're more dedicated. Now, it's religious nonetheless, but at least they have a commitment. And we actually have the God on the inside of us. I mean, the one they're searching lives here. Right here. He's right here. He's alive in me. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you know. I'll, I'll get to prayer when I can. It's not building the house. Hallelujah. Go ahead and smile anyway. 
First uh, Peter chapter two. Amen. I mean, this is good news, honestly. Amen. The only reason why you wouldn't be shouting and running around is because, you know, if you're like, dude, I'm letting my house tear up, you know, we'll fix it. Guess what? Good news. Good news. Good news. If your house is utterly falling apart right now, I mean, everything's like, geez, man, I got the tiles flaw. I mean, my shingles are coming off because, you know, I'm gossiping. You know, I mean, you know, I got water uh, uh, pipes busting. Uh, you know, my hot water heater went down, you know, died, whatever. I don't care how bad. And you're like, I, I don't have enough to fix. The Lord's like, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll get you all the funds you need to fix it. I mean, he's going to fund your project. I mean, what would your natural house look if there was no, if you didn't have to come up with the money yourself? Oh, you don't want to hear this. Right? Hey, come on, Pastor Tim. You, you and Pastor Bridge, you don't know what I'm talking about. What would it be like if God's like, son, just go buy it? Now, again, God ain't going over there putting your sheetrock on, putting in your electrical outlets, putting up your, but you have all the resource. All you got to do is Put forth the effort to apply the material that he's bankrolling. And God is bankrolling on the inside of you everything you need to renovate this thing so that the glory of God is walking around with you everywhere you go. He's like, oh, you need a little bit of love to cover up that offense? I got that. Oh, you need some peace? I got plenty of peace to cover your pain right now. All you got to do is Work it. Put it in your house. Build your life around it. And then people are like, wow, how's he do that? First Peter chapter two, verses one through five, he says, therefore, say therefore, therefore. putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respects to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. I mean, he wants a place that is seen in the world, that when people come by you, all of a sudden, this house that is housing the Holy Ghost is so different from the rest of the world that you have uh, understood that God will only take up residence In the place that is holy and pure, and Jesus put the new spirit in me that gave the Holy Spirit permission to move in. Yes. He was the great sacrifice that allowed my spirit man to come alive and for the third person of the Godhead to move right in. And now the greater one. I said the... How many times we quote this? Greater is... That is... Well, how are you housing him? You taking the Holy Ghost to bed on the weekends? Uh, in fornication? I mean, you taking the Holy Spirit out and say, now I know you could get me drunk, but I'm going to get you drunk.
I got some tongues. One starts with an F. There's other languages because the Holy Ghost isn't talking that. I said he isn't talking that. And people will walk by your temple and go, well, that place reminds me of the temple I saw at the club last night. And that temple reminds me, you know, of that person at work and, you know, that sorry old manager, you know, it's always complaining and stuff. And the one who's, who's tasked with the building is you. Wasn't it a powerful statement that Pastor John said? He said, God took the responsibility of saving your child's spirit, but as a parent, it's your responsibility to save their soul. Okay? Now, you understand, it's your responsibility to help them save their soul, because ultimately, they're going to have to save their own soul, just like you have to save yours. Meaning you're renewing your mind to the new person you are and the recognition that the Holy Ghost is in here. Man, when you know the Holy Ghost is in here, it changed the way you start responding all the time. When you're in a real awareness, because at that point, all you got to do is go, well, what would you do? What would you do? You know he's not going to respond carnally. And he's not going to say, well, I'm in this flesh like you. I feel it too. Let's do this deal. No. He's going to respond. I mean, he's going to respond beyond your capacity. Because he'll be able to say, I know things. I know things. He can talk to you and say, you know, I know things. And at this point, I just want you to forgive. Because if you'll do this, I know some things. It can unlock some stuff in them. But I need you to be the first one to do it. Because I know some things. You could also say, I know some things. All that you're hearing right now, it sounds good. But it isn't coming from my realm. There's manipulation with that. And they're using my scripture to boot. So you just hold your course. Because I know some things. But I don't want you to get vocal and get frustrated and mad. You just be quiet. Because I know some things. And what happens is when you yield to that, then the temple starts taking on the glory. Everything gets purified and refined. You understand, Solomon, when they laid the gold out, it was not unpurified. It had been tested by the fire. The dross has been pulled off and purity is covering the temple. And so the Holy Ghost, because we always want the Holy Ghost and fire. Well, the fire is to burn off the impurities, the impurities of your thoughts, the impurities of your flesh. And listen, it's a constant burning because your flesh and your spirit battle daily because your flesh is like, I'll take that. I'll go back to that. And you're like, no, you're never going back. 
And greater is he that's in me that it keep you from going back because I am the man of the house with the man of the house. And we're going to make sure you don't take residence here. We don't have a temple that looks like the other gods. Ours is greater. So how are you going to build your house? Because in these last days, listen. In these last days. Wow, should I say that? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hmm. Hmm. In these last days, um, the Bible tells us that things will get worse in the world. Gross darkness. That's in the world. It should never put you in fear. Ever. I don't care how bad it is. And let me just say it this way. It's not going to get any worse than the days of Noah. So my point is, it can't get worse than it's already been. So don't think this a new bad that's never been. Because the Lord will come like the days of, of Noah. Now, when his wrath gets poured out, that'd be like the world's never experienced. Because when he did it in the flood, I mean, that was quick. They drowned. What's the longest that a person can hold their breath? Well, anybody know what the record is right now? 20, maybe 20 minutes, maybe? Somebody Google it real quick so I can help save your life. <clears throat> okay. The days of Noah says he'll come like the day. It'll be like the days of Noah. Okay. They'll be eating and drinking, given to marriage. Right. They'll just be going on as if nothing's coming. But those that are like Noah, the righteous, they know it's coming. Wow. Y'all's phones are really slow. 24 minutes? All right. 24 minutes. So, okay, just so you have perspective. The most somebody would have been living when the flood hit and the waters got there and they went under, 27 minutes, 24 minutes and 37 seconds. That's nothing 
compared to the tribulation that people are begging to die. Just perspective. But he said, in the last days, people will be deceived and deceiving. So it's deception will be at a heightened place. Which tells me if you're not a disciple, you're going to be in trouble. Even if you're a believer. Hmm. I preached a message in 2017, 18, and 19 called Equipped. Only for 2020 to turn out being a very different time. But it didn't take us long to find out who was applying the last three years of teaching. The good news, the majority did. There were very few people who did not. I actually only had one person leave the church because of COVID. That their thinking was, I'll never assemble again. Only one person. Okay? Uh, But that means the Lord prepares you. Again, these moments that we're having right now are not just midweek fill-ins. These are in preparation for things to come. Again, one of the assignments of the Holy Ghost is to disclose things to come. And the thing of it is, is that disclosing things to come are not just coming through the gifts of the Spirit called a word of wisdom. They can come through the teaching of the word and subject matter that you're like, you know what? I just got into this trial and pastor has been preaching on this and now I got plenty of things to stand on. Ten virgins are waiting on the Lord. Ten of them. And they all have oil in their lamps. All of them. And the fire is lit. But five have more oil. When they hear the bridegroom coming, they wake up, trim their lamps. And the five that had more oil resupplied. The five who did not said, man, we're not going to make it. Can you give us your oil? Some of them, they said, can't do it. Won't be enough for us both. You're going to have to go back and get your own. You got to get your own. It says, while they were gone, the door opened. I said, it's while they were gone, the door opened. The five came back and said, knocked on the door and said, Lord, Lord, let us in. He's like, who are you? He said, he goes, I don't even know who you are. Now that word means I was not intimately acquainted with you. That doesn't mean I don't know you. I don't know of you. But I don't have a intimate relationship with you. The Lord showed me very clearly. I'm extremely bold in this statement. Very clearly. He said, son, everything is by faith. Everything. 
Nothing that you get from me does not come by, does not come unless by faith. Period. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So healing can come to you by somebody else's faith. There are some things that God will allow other people's faith to come over to you. But then there's some things that it requires you. You know what one of those are? Being born again. I cannot have faith for your salvation. I can believe for you to be saved, but ultimately you're going to have to get your own. But we know people today that are born again. They've confessed Jesus as Lord, but they do not by faith believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with heaven speaking in tongues. They're in the kingdom. Why are they not in due with power? Why didn't it just come on them anyway? Why didn't it just fall on them anyway? Why didn't it just happen? Because here's what's crazy is that a person not born of God can be in an atmosphere of people that are, are, that are full of the Holy Ghost, be in one of those meetings where the Holy Ghost falls, and they fall down under the power, but they don't yield to anything, and they just fall under the power. Physically, they can't stand in the weight of the presence of the Lord, but yet they're still not speaking in tongues because God will not make them do something they don't yield to. We know there's people that are born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, but sick. Because they never renew their minds that healing is in the kingdom. So why do we think that when a trumpet blows, everyone automatically goes? Why do we believe that? Because there are so many people that are ask Jesus in their heart and they don't think about God at all, except as a CEO. Christmas and Easter only. And most of them are just an EO, Easter only. It's true. And yet you're think and you're you're and you're like. Because, and I understand the debate that takes, well, you're, that's works. No, it's called faith. Yep, that's right. It's called faith. Ten virgins is ten virgins. So anyone who tries to take that scripture and tell you the five virgins weren't born again, that's a lie. They are pure. They're pure. But they don't get in. Now, I'm not telling you they won't ultimately go. But, man, I'm seeing some things. Because we are in a, we have always been. From Genesis 1, we've always been in the position, I prove my love by obeying his word. So I sacrifice my will on how to do it. That is consistent in any covenant of God. In any dispensation of God. And it's by faith in every one of them. There's not one that doesn't exist. Not one. Not one. 
So there's some form of crucifying something in order to live to something else. At minimum, Adam has to crucify not his flesh because he doesn't even have sin. He just has to crucify his will and do his. After the fall, now it's crucifying. And today we're in, we crucify our flesh daily so that we walk by the Spirit. Could it be if you're not willing to crucify your flesh today and, let you, and be led by the Spirit that you find yourself left behind and the Lord's going to say, well, we'll find out in the natural if you really love me. Because are you going to take the mark or not? Because when you didn't have to die, all you had to do was die to yourself. You didn't do it. Because taking a mark is the same as what Adam does. Because the work of obedience is consistent. Adam had to obey to stay alive forever. So why are we in this dispensation that we know we have an advocate with the Father? I get it. But that we think we could go back and practice, live, be habitual, and think a trumpet blows and we're coming. That that kind of life is discipleship, although the scripture never says it. That's called religion. It's called deception. The life I live today, I live by faith that the Lord shows me, son, I made you a new spirit. You know you're alive now. Then I put my spirit in you and he bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God and you know you are now. Now, son, you know that I talk to you about things you're thinking that you need to get rid of. And you know we're talking. You know I'm talking to you. And all you got to do is yield. I can't make you do it, son. But I can empower your choice to choose me. I can cause what I say to you come alive. And you have the power now to deny that stuff. You've always had the power to deny your will. You now have the power through a spirit that's alive to operate like I do and build your house that the glory of God can be seen to the world. So these meetings, these times together are not just fill-ins. They're strategic. They're necessary. Some will make you laugh, but some will make you examine because God knows what's coming. And you're not going to stand before Jesus and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. For some, he's going to say, I told you to leave that other church a long time ago and you didn't listen to me. But you loved your tradition. So you have no excuse. You loved your tradition. Told you to leave that church a long time ago. 
You know what's really going to be shocking to most believers when they, found out, when they find out that there was a church? Because I believe there are, there is a church. Within a, I'm not going to say every community, but I will say within the vicinity that there's no excuse. And what's vicinity? Well, how far will you go for a vacation? How far will you go for a quick weekend getaway? I mean, we'll run down to Disney like no problem. We'll have um, season passes to football games. You're talking about vicinity, those people in the NFL and college are die hard. They show up at the away games. They're going to make it to church. So they're going to make it to their church and they're going to pay their offerings. They're going to give their tithe to get their season tickets and then they're going to pay their offerings through concessions. And then they're going to be drunk as we suppose and they're going to brag about it all week about the next service they're having. And then they get depressed when the season's over and they can't assemble. Oh, y'all don't want to hear that kind of preaching. I get you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hallelujah. No, I'm here. I'm going to do the will of the Father. You know what? I want to build this house that every time I walk by anyone that's not of God, God can rattle them that I'm never confused with a lesser God temple. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com.